we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture uh, that I think is uh, it, it's it's one that I, I find it humorous in some ways, and uh, we'll we'll touch on that, but also inspiring at the same time. And uh, to to kick it off, before I read the passage, I want to ask you a, a question, and maybe this question will even kind of clue you in as to um, uh, what the passage is that we're going to look at. But in a, in a word or a phrase, using the chat feature, um, were you ever, as a child, accidentally left somewhere by your parents? Were you ever, as a child, accidentally left somewhere by your parents? Instead of yes or no, if you were left somewhere by your parents, um, where where do they leave you? Where did they accidentally leave you? Emphasis on accidentally. See what kind of answers we get here. While you're thinking, I can tell you that um, I got, uh, I, I was left at church uh, a number of times by my parents. They never drove the same car to church and I would forget to tell my mom that I'm going home with dad or my dad that I'm going home with mom. And um, uh, so I spent extra time at church. Anybody? Wow, your parents were great. I don't see anything coming up in the chat feature. Um, we just had a, a pretty popular Christmas movie that's all about it, Home Alone, which I don't know how you make it to a whole nother country before you realize one of your kids is missing, but hmm. anyway. So nobody nobody has been left by, by their parents? I mean, I got left home with my younger siblings all the time. Oh, okay. I hear that that's allowed once you're a certain age. Okay, and then... <laughs> Um, let's see. Oh, okay. So they, okay. So, uh, oh, ballet. So, so Celeste, well, this is Celeste. Uh, this is your phone. Uh, maybe this is Jocelyn saying that she was left at ballet by Celeste. We don't know. Um, uh, let's see. <laughs> Holly, you were left in a car at a Harvey at a, in a casino parking lot. There's, that's got to be a good story and probably several hours of therapy tied up with that. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Doug, I agree, Doug. Holly wins. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So was, uh, Barbara is saying she was left um, left at, at, at home as well. So it, there's kind of that, that feeling of... Um, forgottenness but the uh, I want us to kind of try as much as we can put ourselves in the place of, of Mary and Joseph as I read through this story and this is um, the only incident we have in our well in the 66 books uh, that constitute the Bible that most of us would look at as God's authoritative word this is the only incident we have of Jesus experiences during his boyhood. Um, and so I'm gonna read this passage. And uh, so we, we celebrate his birth yesterday and now we're gonna zoom ahead to he is 12 years old because that's really the only, uh, that's the next time that we read something about the life of Jesus. So I'll be reading from Luke 2 uh, beginning in verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. 
After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him at the casino. Now, that's the, sorry. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. That's quite the understatement, I would think. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So let me um, give a little bit of context uh, to this to this story uh, that will help us in, in understanding it to kind of step back into that culture 2000 years ago. Um, to begin with, they were uh, they had made a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. This pilgrimage was one of three annual journeys that a, a devoted family, a devoted Jewish family would make. Um, if there was only one pilgrimage that could be made each year, it was this one, the Passover. Um, it was a week-long um, festival, and this was the big one. And if you were going to only make one, this would be it. Um, it in this patriarchal society, um, really the the father was the only one who was really required to make these journeys, but sometimes the wife and kids would go. Um, and if they did go to one, it was usually this one for the Passover. And um, children would accompany their, uh, their parents as they were nearing adulthood, which is what we think of as adulthood and what they considered adulthood are, are pretty different ages. We would associate it with like um, someone turning 18, graduating from high school, young adult, or maybe when they're 21, um, perhaps maybe as young as 16 when you're first allowed to drive. But customarily, Jewish parents um, would consider their son to be a son of the covenant, an adult at the age of 13. So we pick up this story um, in Jesus' life. He's 12. And in that, in that season, in that age of a young boy's life, the instruction and the training became more intensive in preparation in preparation for this um, step into adulthood. And it was at 13 that Jewish boys became responsible for their actions um, and were seen in society as adults. Um, in case you're wondering, a bar mitzvah we, we know of today um, is actually postdated from this event by 500 years. So it's they're not um, they're not associated, but they do have kind of that mindset of just this is a rite of passage. So um, one of the things that I kind of breathe a sigh of relief in this passage is it it paints the less idyllic and more realistic portrait of the perfect family. Um, now I say that, but at the same time, um, this is 
this is not a passage of scripture that was given to us to be used primarily for teaching family dynamics or parenting. Uh, this story is first and foremost a story about Jesus and specifically his human development and a growing awareness that he had to be in his father's house. As Luke included this story, um, he is going out of his way to help us see that Jesus was fully divine, but he was also fully human. And uh, so he, uh, Luke wants us to see how Jesus grew and developed. More on that in just a moment. But I do want to mention a couple of things that are points for us to uh, consider regarding this family and context. Um, if you're wondering why Mary and Joseph, it went, they went a full day before recognizing that, he, that Jesus was missing, it's because they did not make this pilgrimage just the three of them. It was not Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Um, it was, uh, they didn't travel as a nuclear family. They, they traveled with a caravan of extended family and friends. So picture a huge group of people who knew each other very, very well. These are people that, that you knew really well and you would trust your life and your kids' lives with these people. Um, and on top of that, um, in a caravan of this size, it was not uncommon for the men to be in one group and the women in the other. So it really could have been that each parent thought that Jesus was with the other. Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph. Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary. So just think on this for a second. Can you imagine the fight that broke out between Mary and Joseph over this one? Can you, can you picture when they, you, I thought you were responding, you, he said, you know, and just the back and forth uh, in this fight. So can we just right now acknowledge that it was Joseph's fault? Yeah. Um, see, Luke doesn't include the detail that it was the dad's fault because it's assumed. Okay, so let, let's just drop the debate. It was the dad's fault. All right. <laughs> um, so what was going on in Jesus' mind for this? Um, what would cause him to be separated? But we don't read that he was anxious in any way. And felt, in fact, he described how he felt right at home, literally in his father's house. And I wonder um, if, if Jesus was like any teenager or young kid who could lose track of all time when doing something that they loved. And I wonder if that was the case for Jesus. What, what activity for you, I mean, we can use the chat feature for this again. What's an activity for you as a kid that you just seem to lose all track of time when you were doing it? Drawing, that's great. Reading. Jonathan playing the drums. Nice. Uh, reading Nancy Drew. Yes, I was the Hardy Boys uh, mystery guy, but yeah. Um, yeah, just getting outside and playing with the neighborhood kids for sure. Building forts, riding a bike. Max Sabito says he never lost track of time. So we aspire to Maxhood is what it is. Um, for me, it was swimming. I could go down to our public pool in Webster Groves and I could spend the whole day there. And at the end of the day, I realized I didn't take a break 
to eat or anything. So, um, yeah, we've got others uh, listening, listening to music, a day in the woods, um, Cora Crick, sleeping and roller coasters, TV show. That's now that's a fun sleeping. Definitely. I can relate to <laughs> with that. So I, what if what if this was as simple as the thing that Jesus found out that he loved as a kid was was being in that environment where he could learn and grow, where he could ask questions and be asked questions and how this just fueled his sense of identity. Um, he found himself in a place where he was like, this, this is my home. Um, and I think it's kind of easy to lose track of time like that. Now we don't, we don't know exactly, um, if that's what happened, but, um, that's just my uh, supposition maybe. Um, and, and the other thing is Jesus didn't really consider himself lost at that time. He didn't think he was missing. He he felt like he was right where he was supposed to be all along. So again, kind of for context, let me let me help us understand the role of the temple in the life of Jesus. Uh, the temple was a place of worship and of teaching. Those were the two primary things that took place there. Sacrifices were offered as a way of worshiping God, and people gathered to hear the scriptures read and expounded on especially in an, a predominantly illiterate society. Um, they would go there to hear the scriptures read and, and be taught by scholars. Uh, the temple played a, a, a big role in Jesus' life. Uh, he was carried into the temple even before he could walk. Uh, at about one month old, uh, according to Jewish customs, Mary and Joseph, following those Jewish customs, uh, presented Jesus to the Lord. It's a, it's a beautiful story of him being presented to the Lord. Simeon and Anna were there and uh, just a, um, a prophetic moment. Um, and so we see that the temple played a part in Jesus' upbringing as a child and entering into his adult years um, as a 12 slash 13 year old. And then if you continue reading Luke's gospel, or really any of the gospels, you see that Jesus enters the temple again and again. And sometimes he's met by followers who are eager to learn. And sometimes, oftentimes, he's met by critics. But we also see that Jesus has a very personal connection to the temple. Um, in this passage that we're looking at today, Jesus says, I am in my father's house. But later on in Luke, in fact, one of the last times that he was in the temple, he doesn't call it his father's house. He says, um, he calls it my house. He says, my house will be a house of prayer. So this growing connection, his father's house is his house. And we see that um, just his zeal to be in, in, in his father's house uh, was a, a real driving um, part of his, his growing process. And it was in the temple that Jesus finds his, his purpose. Uh, when, when Jesus said, I must be in my father's house, this word must is a really, really strong word. Jesus looked at his parents and said, I have to be here. It's like, I have, I, I can't imagine that I have any other options that could even touch what it's like to be here. So this was, uh, this was a really big deal to him. And, um, I do think it's worth noting too that um, we are we are each um, 
flavored to one degree or another, to, to greater degrees or lesser degrees by the faith of, of our families or the lack of faith of our families. Um, but I would say that one of the things that we need to hold on to is at some point we each have to take ownership in our faith. Um, I was I was blessed to grow up in a home that uh, put a lot of emphasis on going to church and more than that, but uh, to have a relationship with Christ. But it had to transition from my father's faith to my faith, from my parents' faith to my faith. And, and we're in a culture here in Marin where that's that's pretty rare and it, becoming more so across the United States that um, many of you perhaps are one or two or more generations removed from church and from faith. And so uh, whatever depth of religious roots you have, um, see them as something that God can use to grow you, something that he can use to build on. Even if you felt like um, the, the faith that you grew up with is one that you've chosen to step away from, um, you can still learn and grow because of, um, not in spite of, but even because of a, diff a different religious upbringing. God can use that. And um, I think another thing that was so key, and this happened in the temple um, as well, is the, the blessing of an extended family. I've already said that they caravanned with a large number of people. Uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus did. So it was biological family and their faith family. These were people that they loved and did life with. And um, when when he was a month old and again as a 12 year old, what is what I want to make note of, if you were to le read uh, Luke 2, the whole the whole chapter, and specifically the two times, one is a one month old and one is a 12 year old that Jesus in the, is in the temple. Um, other people see what Mary and Joseph were not able to see. Other people recognized and gave voice to Jesus as the promised Messiah, to Jesus as one who um, had a special anointing. And I, um, I just want to say that for us as parents, uh, especially those of us with, as uh, parents of teenagers, um, we need your voice to speak truth and life into our children. Um, Simeon and Anna did that for Mary and Joseph and I am grateful uh, for the ways that 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 some of you have been a Simeon and and and, and Anna uh, for Beth and myself and as you've gotten to know our kids Jack and, and Callie and I pray that um, that this is something that we can that we can build on um, newsflash we are not the youngest congregation uh, the youngest church in Marin but when younger children and teenagers are around us, do they hear us speaking into their lives? This isn't just, okay, we need to have like someone that does children's ministry and youth ministry, and then they kind of take care of that. As an extended family, we are all a caravan traveling together. Could Bay Marin be the type of church to speak divine potential into younger generations. I pray that we are. As God brings younger generations into our life, whether it's in a church service or just as we are, are meeting throughout the week, may we be the type of people 
who speak and see that divine potential in these younger generations. I think that's a really powerful way that we can serve and help bring this kingdom into, into reality in Marin. And so I just want to want to wrap up with um, with looking at this, the progress, the growth, uh, the process of maturing that Jesus entered into and what we can learn from that. As I said before, um, Luke shows Jesus as fully human in his maturing process in wisdom and stature. And this passage gives us some practical teaching regarding um, what we could refer to as progress and holiness. Jesus, though perfect, continued to grow in perfection. And it's a reminder to us that no matter how long we have journeyed with God, we each have room to increase in our holiness and in our love of God. And I don't think any of us would, would dispute that. Um, but I know for me, there is something really inspirational when I meet someone who has journeyed with God a really long time, who still has that hunger and that appetite to grow. Um, Beth and I have a very dear friend in San Jose whose name is Noni. Um, her, she shares Dave's birthday, but many years earlier. Uh, Christmas Eve is her birthday. And I believe this year she turned 93, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 94. And this lady lives reading God's word and praying for people and has such a tender, teachable spirit um, at the same time. And so uh, people like that mean so much to me. Um, I was blessed. I've got a great, great, great uncle Oscar Taylor um, who was a pastor and he wrote a little memoir, a little book years ago, and it's called 75 Years in the Ministry. He was a pastor of a church, of, of more than one church, but he pastored churches for 75 years. Um, there's just this process of growth and maturing, um, it, it doesn't end. And to me, that's exciting. I love that every day there is something new to learn and not just information, but there is a new way for me um, and for you, for us to grow and to become more of the people that God created us to be. Luke 2 verse 40, this was actually the verse before I, I started reading. And it says this about Jesus and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, I, I'm not going to be able to tell you to explain how he was filled with wisdom and he increased in wisdom. Does that mean he just flowed over? I don't know. But um, but even Jesus had room for growth. And this, this word increased in wisdom is a real vivid word picture. Um, that word increased is the same word that someone like a, a, a blacksmith would use to talk about lengthening out a piece of metal by hammering it. it they would increase this metal by hammering it, heating it and hammering it. Another way it was used is um, if you were um, on a journey and it was not on a paved uh, on a paved path or a, a well-worn path, you would make your way forward by chopping down obstacles. You would, um, you would increase your way forward by, by cutting down obstacles. So both of these depictions highlight the grit of growth. Um, and so maturity 
in our life it is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> um, that is painted for us, that this is not uh, just kind of go to a nice air-conditioned classroom, take a couple of tests and you grow. This is, this is real life school that we enter into and God uses that for us to grow. And, um, and we see that Jesus' mental, social, and spiritual strength developed along with his physical strength. Um, we, we would expect that uh, Jesus grew physically. We know that he was born as a baby. Um, we, we can kind of understand how that was probably a natural progression for him, um, hitting certain stages of physical growth. But he was fully man as well as fully God. And um, he also experienced this, this process, this progress of growth mentally, socially, spiritually, emotionally, all of this. Jesus experienced well-rounded growth. And he was not only brilliant in his scriptural knowledge, he grew in all human aspects. So I want us to lean into this as we kind of wrap up. Um, yes, we can be lifelong learners, but more than that, I pray that we become lifelong growers. And by that, I mean more than just kind of mental capacity growing, to grow in every aspect of our life. Physically, a person will eventually stop growing taller. In fact, physically, some of us um, begin growing smaller, uh, <laughs> shorter. Growing spiritually, growing relationally, growing emotionally, growing mentally never has to stop. This is an ongoing process that we can, that we can participate in. Um, Ruth Haley Barton is an author and spiritual director and teacher who has really played a huge role in my life. She has no idea how big of a role she's played in my life. I've been able to sit under her teachings for um, over a two-year period, um, as some retreats that she led. I've read a number of her books and listened to her podcast. She is um, just really uh, inspirational in my, my, my journey. And not just spiritually, but in every aspect. That's one of the things that she has emphasized. And she says this uh, about transformation and growth and change. Transformation is central to the message of the gospel and therefore is central to the mission of the church. Let me say that again. Um, in fact, I'm going to put that in the chat feature here. Transformation is central to the message of the gospel. Life change is central to the message of the good news that God has for us. Good news because of his grace. Um, we do not have to remain where we are. Transformation is central to the message of the gospel, the good news, and therefore is central to the mission of the church. What are we about? We must be about experiencing transformational growth in every aspect of our lives. Now, I'll admit when I think about growth and maturity as a Christian, the first thing that comes to my mind is, I've got all these sinful habits that I need to break. If I could just grow and, and not be pulled down in the wrong direction by unholy habits. Um, and certainly there is a need for that. But I often forget about the room I have to grow in all of the other areas of my life. 
So I began to kind of think about what what are some areas of my life or kind of what would be like descriptors of my life if I were to really grow in um, these areas of emotional health, mental health, um, socially, the way I'm interacting with people, things, things like that. And so here's some, uh, just going to mention a few of these and maybe you can resonate with some, maybe you'll have your own ideas, but kind of marks of a healthy and growing follower of Christ. And, and specifically, these are areas that I want to continue to grow in. Um, I want to grow in my ability to identify what I'm feeling. Um, I want to I want to not only know more about God, I want to know more about the me <laughs> and where I am in life. And I feel like, um, and the, um, I think Tim kind of touched on this as, uh, in, in his reflection uh, back on Blue Christmas, the one hour retreat. Um, it, it's important for us to be able to identify and give voice to how we are feeling. Um, you may be able to quote entire books of the Bible but if you're not in touch with how you are feeling, it could be really dangerous in some of the relationships that you're in. Another area that I want to grow in, um, I want to grow as a man who is content, non-defensive, and free from making choices based on gaining the approval of others. I'd love to grow in that area. Just where I can be at peace with who I am in that stage of life Yes, still wanting to grow, but realize that God is loving me right there where I am, as I am, and to, to stop making choices based upon what I think others are going to think, to just be able to rest in who I am. I want to grow in that area. I want to grow in my ability to discern when I am to help carry someone else's burdens and when to let it go so they can carry it themselves. In other words, I want to grow in understanding my God-given limits. I want to grow in, in my understanding of um, what God has wired me to do and not to do and to be okay with that. Um, another area of growth, I want, um, I want growth in knowing when and to whom I can share my losses and disappointments. Um, knowing when and to whom I can share these things with. Um, because there is a there is a need for us to express our grief our losses our disappointments there's a good time and a good place to do those and i want to grow in my knowledge of when that is um how about this one in relationships i i want to grow in addressing rather than avoiding conflict specifically i want to grow in my ability to speak more in the first person as i'm uh, if someone has wronged me I want to grow in my ability to say uh, I statements instead of you blaming you statements. I want to be able to say how I am feeling rather than pointing a finger and saying we are in this conflict because you did. I just want to grow relationally. I want to mature in the way that I address conflict. And finally, not that this is the last one, but the last one that I'm going to mention. Uh, I want to experience healing and growth to the point that I'm able to thank God for all my past experiences. I want to grow and, and see how God has used all of my past experiences to uniquely shape who I am. In other words, to not be held back in areas of shame and guilt. 
but to see that God has been at work all along and he can use even those things to help me grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This passage in Luke, it ends with um, a statement, Mary pondered all these things. Um, she had, she, her eyes were opened uh, in, a, in, a, in a real shocking way at what other people were saying about Jesus, um, it, his wisdom. This was one of those moments where other people were speaking into Jesus' life and they saw things that even his parents didn't. And, and she pondered those things. And I, I think this is important for us to know that, um, yes, we have room for growth spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, physically, socially, but it's helpful for us to slow down and to ponder those areas of growth. So I'm going to put these, the, the, the areas of of growth. Let's see if I can get this copied and pasted. I'm going to put this in the chat feature again. And I want to give you a, a chance just to ponder on these, of these areas, spiritual, intellectual, emotional, physical, and social. What could you choose to focus on in the new year? Now, as you're thinking about that, you'll see that they're not um, complete. They don't, none of these stand completely alone. The spiritual weaves through everything. Um, you understand that uh, how our emotions impact our physical bodies. So each of these spiritual, intellectual, emotional, physical, and social, all of these connect in, in very uh, meaningful ways. But if you were going to lean into one of these in this new year, what would you choose to focus on? And then a second question to go along with that, and I'll put this in the chat feature as well. What type of training or practices would help you grow in that specific area? In other words, I can't just wake up tomorrow and say, I am going to be relationally mature in all of my um, encounters today. Instead, I, I submit myself to specific practices that will transform me so that the most natural thing for me to do is to respond in ever maturing ways in the relationships that I have. So can you think of ways of training or practices that would help you grow in that specific area that you want to grow in? And um, I want to I want to remind you that you are with a caravan of people <laughs> and this would be a great thing for you to get with a small group of people or a, a real trusted spiritual friend and say, this is an area that I want to grow in. Can you help me kind of craft a, 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 a couple of practices that I could do that would help me grow and to be transformed? Um, I believe it was last Sunday. Um, we were looking at how Mary said yes, um, and an unconditional yes to what God had for her. Um, and a, a comment was made that we don't know what this next year holds for us, but we, but we can choose to say yes. This time next year, we can celebrate the ways that we said yes. Well, it's kind of in that same 
um, same vein that I want to say this time next year, I pray that we can celebrate growth, that we can celebrate the ways that we grew in the areas of spiritual, intellectual, emotional, physical, and social growth, those aspects of our lives.